as above, so below. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I study meaningful coincidences. If you want to get my book, Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happened, you can get it any place you get books, but local bookstores are highly recommended. The story today is uh, titled, my story today is titled, uh, You Gotta Have Heart. And uh, it's about Taylor and Colin, each of whom received heart transplants on the same day at a Virginia hospital in 2011 and were recovering in neighboring rooms. It was her first transplant after she suffered a viral cardiomyopathy while Colin was receiving his second transplant after he was born with a chronic heart condition. I didn't even know how they talked with each other. They were both so miserable um, recovering. There was nothing happening between them. But five years later, they reconnected at the anniversary of their transplants, um, visiting their doctors back in Virginia. Uh, they went to dinner because Colin did the, the key thing to have coincidences happen. He, he asked he said, would you go out to dinner with me? If you don't ask, even though the potential is there, it won't happen. The two hit it off. It was cute, she thought, because we had to take our medicine at the same time and the same medicine. Uh, and Taylor definitely felt the spark that she wasn't expecting at all. They started dating and married in 2019. They, they live in Maryland. Now, for both of them, their physical limitations and mental outlook were barriers to dating, but they had no need to explain to each other why they couldn't do something or why they had a lot of doctor's appointments. They, they already understood because they were going through the same thing together. So this happened with two people in the next room recovering. And he, five years later, said, let's go out to dinner. And their marriage continues. Our guest today is David Lorimer, and I'm so glad to be able to talk with him. He's quite a gentleman. Um, he's a writer, lecturer, poet, editor, and spiritual act activist and founder of Character Education Scotland, program director of the Scientific and Medical Network, and former president of Rec Reckon's Trust and the Swedenborg Society. All this is to convey to you that David is one of those bridges between spirituality and science, and he plays that role extremely well. He has also been editor of Paradigm Explorer since 1986 and completed his 100th issue in 2019. His book reviews are amazing. Uh, I still don't know how he does so many of them so well. He was the instigator of the Beyond the Brain conference series in 1995 and has coordinated the Mystics and Science conferences every year since the late 1980s. His most recent books are his essays, A Quest for Wisdom, and his collections of poetry, Better Light, a, better light the Candle, Better to Light, Better Light a Candle. David is also chair of the Galileo Commission which seeks to expand the evidence base of science of consciousness beyond materialistic worldview 
And this year's Galileo conference just happens to be about one of my favorite subjects, synchronicity. And we are organizing that uh, conference in about a week. David, thank you very much for joining me on Connecting with Coincidence. Thank you, Bernie. That's, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, you've had uh, a few stories, and we may have run across a few others of them, but uh, why don't you tell us about how you got involved with the Scientific and Medical Network, because th that's how I got to know you. Yes, well, I was teaching at Winchester College in 1983, and I received a letter out of the blue, so it's 40 years ago this year, uh, from George Blaker. I'd never heard of George Blaker. I'd never heard of the Scientific and Medical Network. Um, but he said somehow I had come to his notice and would I be interested in joining? Um, and so I looked through the one sheet description about the network and what it was. And I said, yes, this sounds a very interesting group to be involved with. And so I wrote back with my Why, why don't you tell our audience more about what that network is? And by yes. the way, please, please tell us where you're located right now. Oh, I'm I'm in the southwest part of France and uh, the area associated with the Cathars, um, which were a, a 13th century Christian group. Um, there's a lot of history behind that. A lot of history. Uh, yes, and indeed, there might even be a synchronicity um, arising from that connection as well. I think but, so. <laughs> uh, the, the Scientific and Medical Network was founded in 1973 by a group of academics and civil servants, senior academics and civil servants, including a vice-chancellor, of Surrey University, Peter Leggett, the Dean of the Postgraduate Studies in Southampton Medical School, Dr. Patrick Shackleton, George Blaker, who was a senior civil servant who'd met Gandhi um, in India when he was working in India, and, and Sir Kelvin Spencer, who had been the chief scientist at the Ministry of Power in the 1950s. And these are all and British. These are all British. These are all British. It was British. Um, there was a Polish priest called Andrew Glazewski who was also involved in bringing George and Patrick together. Um, but it, it's, it started as a UK organization. And the idea was that um, scientists and doctors were being trained into scientific materialism, along with their training in science and medicine. And the, the all the founders had mystical experiences themselves. And so they knew there was some deeper aspect of reality and then could be necessarily explained by the materialistic view. I've, I think uh, I heard you say that all of the founders had had mystical experiences. Indeed, they did. Yes. I, I, I didn't catch that quite clearly. So each of these founders who had been involved in standard uh, materialistic thinking had mystical experiences that told them, hey, this isn't all there is. Exactly, exactly, which is one of the reasons why they were drawn together. And and um, what they wanted to do was to provide, I mean, it was the first network to be set up as a network. Uh, the word is very common now, but 50 years ago, it wasn't. And, and so they they sort of loose association of people in an informal group is how they describe themselves. And it was an, a, an opportunity for qualified people to talk about things that really mattered to them um, without worrying about what their colleagues, their skeptical colleagues might say. So for instance, one of the first 
conference that was put on in 1974 was at Surrey University on evidence for reincarnation. And, and this wasn't something that was talked about regularly and certainly not in the um, uh, theology departments around the, around the university system in the UK. So that's, that's a bit of background about the network, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Shall I come back now to yeah. <clears throat> my own story? You know, yeah, your own story is this story. Um, the curious part to me uh, is part of your story is how, how he came across your name. That is the, the coincidence that uh, sparks this whole thing. Yes, you're right, actually. Um, and I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, unless it was, it's just possible, now I've come to think about it, that no, that there was a speaker, but I think the speaker actually came via the network. Uh, no, wait a minute. Yeah, if I guess just, I'll just go back a bit because the, this was a man called Ian Pierce, um, and he was a, a holistic doctor, retired. And I read his book um, and invited him to come and speak at the um, at Winchester College. And he was a member of the Scientific and Medical Network, so it's quite possible that he might have recommended me to George Blaker. I'd never actually thought of that before, but it is it is a possible route um, for how George um, heard of me. And I, I don't have his original letter anymore. Yeah, you don't have it, but how might he have known you to recommend you? Uh, that's maybe through Ian Pierce. Okay. So Ian, Ian Pierce might have said to George, I've just been at Winchester College, and he's a very interesting man there. Um, who I think would be, um, you know, appropriate person to invite to join the scientific and medical network. Okay, well, that's that's the sort of thing that I uh, I, I look for. Um, we don't know for sure what happened, but there was something about you at Winchester College that struck him, that had was made a connection in you with you between mysticism and science. Yes, I think that's that's right. Um, so what happened next um, was that he wrote back, um, you know, and I got the newsletter as it, it was then. And, and shortly afterwards, I, I, after I'd met him, I was invited to join the council. And, and anyway, what happened was that he invited me over for lunch. And, and he was actually a fellow old Etonian. And so he'd been at Eton College. Um, a fellow Newtonian, he said? No, Etonian. He'd been at Eton at College. Eton. Which... He's been at Eton College. Well, us, us, guys, us guys in Virginia wouldn't know Etonian, so I, I, Etonian, so now I know. Okay. So there's well, another fellow. A lot of, as you know, maybe there's the, it's a school with more prime ministers um, than any other school. Ah. And, and, and most recently, and maybe infamously, you know, David Cameron and Boris Johnson. Um, but there you go. So I he he invited me to lunch, and we went down to his local village, um, to the Crown Pub uh, in Capel, and we sat down and ordered some lunch. And after about ten minutes, he said to me, "You're just the kind of person we're looking for to take over the scientific and medical network." And I immediately knew um, that um, this was going to happen. That's um, I had this. That's an aha moment that uh, often yeah. accompanies coincidences. That there, the two of you were having lunch, and somehow both of you knew. He said it, 
but you could understand it and you could go with it, that there was something fruitful to come out of this combination. And there it was. Well, even as I'm saying to you now, I'm feeling a bit of some shivers. Um, that the, and so it was a kind of defining moment. And I, um, I had this inner recognition that um, this was, that this was some, this was going to be part of my life, but a huge part of my life. Uh, I didn't know how large a part it was going to be. <laughs> Quite a large part. You read a lot of books since then, uh, and reviewed them. But that 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 uh, quality of having the shivers, that feeling of awe um, that might come with come with some synchronicities, as Jung tried to point out to people, that it often the big ones often were accompanied by feelings like yours. Um, that's I, I can almost feel it again, through you, uh, about this was your future being laid out for you and kind of like an, a seed that you could see the future of. Yes, and, and, and talking about books um, r reminds me of another key moment, um, which was when um, I, I've been working in Morgan Grenfell, which is a, an old merchant bank um, in London um, from 74 to 76. And I was really... a round peg in a square hole. Um, I, I wasn't a good fit um, you know, for being a banker for the rest of my life. Um, and so at a certain point, um, I decided I was going to write to Moet de Chandon, um, where I'd worked as a student um, in 71, 72. And this is the Champagne House, the biggest Champagne House in Epernay. And my job was to take tourists around the cellars and then have a glass of champagne with them afterwards. You know, it's a pretty good student job. And and so I wrote to Patrick Forbes and I said, is there any chance that um, I, I might be able to come and work for you in September and October 1976? And, and he wrote back and he said, as it happens, and I do still have this letter, as it happens, I've just received a, a note from someone saying they can't come. Uh, and so we'd love to have you back again because uh, I was one of the most popular guides um, for them. Again, and soon... again, again, as part of the whole story of this coincidence, to have you ask at the time that somebody else can't come is not an uncommon circumstance. Somebody just told me a story okay. yesterday of waiting, wanting, waiting in line to get in to a, a play that you wanted to go to, Lilith, its name was, and she drove two hours to get there and there all these lines were there they didn't have a ticket and she saw uh, another line around some bushes and got in line and got right to the front ticket office and said uh, we want three tickets and the guy said you're in luck somebody just gave us back their tickets so they got front row tickets that way and the, this sort of timing david is more common than we realize. And so part of what I like to point out to people is just what happened to you and many other people are common. So weird stuff is common is the idea. Okay. <clears throat> now that's very interesting. So, so what happened is that I immediately got back in touch with Patrick Forbes and said, I'd love to come. And I resigned from the bank the next day. Um, and so that was, again, was a, was a pivotal moment. Um, and they were slightly surprised um, that I was resigning from a good 
good what was then regarded as a good post and then what what i did is that and this is where the books come in is is i took four boxes of books um, abroad um for this wanderjahr as they say in german wandering year um which started at moite chandon uh, and i also took a lot of tapes of you know, my favorite music um but i actually read i read all of those books those four boxes of books in that next year and that's really the been the foundation of all the work i've done since um so uh, that's another story well uh, i i'm i'm happy i'm glad to hear that part of it because i don't think the uh, our audience can get a sense for just how voluminous your book reviews have been in the, the paradigm explorer many many there's another review by another review by david another review by and with done with such knowledge of the book so i didn't have to read some of those books to be able to get some ideas from them because you did such a nice job for them so that's your that's a real talent you have well it's something i've i've developed over a long period and and when when i left um fife to come to france um there were about 6000 books on the book review database in, on the computer um so that gives you an idea of a 20 year period that gives you the an idea of the um number the throughput if you like uh, the throughput yes yes so now that we're getting to to france what is how did you get your house in in cathar country <clears throat> well that that was um an interesting thing because i came i i i came and gave a a webinar sorry a seminar i say webinar these days a seminar um, with my friend um uh Erica van Kralingen at her, at her center called la borde blanc in may 2014 um and um first evening um we were having dinner and Marianne, who's now my wife, um, came in to um, you know, present the meal and smiled. And <laughs> there was an immediate you know, knowing connection, which, which was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. Um, and so we, we decided to you know, get together and live together in, in December 2014. Who, initiate, who initiated that? Uh, we decided together, but I, I mean, this is a huge upheaval in my life because, you know, I was married with two children. Um, I wasn't oh. thinking of, of leaving <laughs> um, Fife, of leaving my, my, my family home, which my grandfather had bought in 1916. This is all, not, none of this you know, even occurred to me, but when a, when an, a meeting like that takes place, no, life takes over. You can't, as Andrew, Andrew Harvey, who I had a dinner with in August, uh, he said, David, you can't refuse the resurrection. And and I thought that was a wonderful way um, of putting it. And so there was this very, very powerful um, connection between us, which I think goes back to some previous connection connected with the Cathars and this whole area. But obviously, I can't tell. But just, that's just a kind of felt sense, if you like. Well, one that's the sort of thing that I think is important for us to talk about, because there you are in Cathar area, which 
has so much energy in it uh, that's mystical and breaking the rules of uh, the Catholic Church. And here you are in the middle of that. And there's so many stories about people in that area having, let's call them strange and wonderful experiences. And there you were meeting her and getting away from jolly old England where you Scotland, I should say. Or Scot Scotland, yes. thank you. Yeah. Uh, where you should where you should continue to stay as um, obligation would have you. And no, you broke that by the feeling that you had with her. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And I had in fact come um I'd I'd done a tour about six years before that, it must have been about two thousand and eight, with some scientific and medical network members. And and one of the people on it was was uh, Chris, whose daughter owns a castle, and he took us to the castle, and and we had a wonderful tea, and but I had no idea until I went for a walk with Marianne, um, you know, after we started living here that 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 castle was right on the doorstep, and I couldn't have known in two thousand and eight that within four years, six years or so, I'd actually be living down here. Um, but the area is very, very powerful. And I think there's a, I might read you a poem at the end, you know, connected with, with, with it. Um, because I, I have a connection with Bulgarian um, Peter Dunov. Um, and the, the Dunov's group, the ancestry of it was the Bogomils, who were a heretical sect uh, in the 11th and 12th century in Bulgaria, and they were connected with the Cathars, um, such that there was a meeting with a Bogomil bishop um, at San Felix in 1167, where um, Nicetas, as he was called, helped set up the Cathar church structure. And so, in other words, there was a there was already a, um, a link between Bulgaria and this area, you know, going back 700 and 850 years. And and what is how did what what's the meaning to that of you, to you of the Bulgarian link to this area? Well, because that's my <clears throat> that's my main spiritual um, affiliation is with this Bulgarian group, and um, uh, with with Peter Dunov, <clears throat> who was a sage who lived from eighteen sixty four to nineteen forty four, and and brought um, a new esoteric teaching you know, in hundreds of lectures. And, and he's, he's not at all well known. And in addition to his teaching, he also created sacred dance movements called panurythmy, which literally means universal harmony of movement. And and so that's been a huge part of my life and, and still is. Um, I'm gonna, I'm so gonna, slow, another... I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow you down a little bit because you're, <laughs> you, there's a lot in what you're saying that uh, is relevant not only to I think our audience but to me, because I love to go to dance myself, and uh, that there's something about being in a group of people moving together in whatever ways feel the rhythm gets you into so that the group of the individuals become part of a group and the consciousness of that group gets filled with a kind of love and connection and mental connection that is a remarkable thing to experience so i am guessing that that's something like what panurhythmic does yeah you're absolutely right 
um there are there are three kinds of connection as i understand it myself i mean the movements are symbolic and um, so there's a movement of giving and receiving there's a movement of opening there's a movement of awakening and so they represent part of the, the spiritual process if you like ascending and descending liberation and and, and it's, it's, there's a lot of there are 28 movements in the first part but the point i was going to make is that the, there are three connections there's a connection with the earth through the feet as you you dance this bare feet in the mountains and then there's a connection with each other through the music and and the dance because you dance it in pairs and you dance in a huge circle and then there's a connection with the invisible world, with the spiritual world, a sort of vertical connection, if you like. That's beautiful. Um, that's that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, we approximate something like that, but we don't articulate it and organize it in the clarity that you just described. Well, I think it's something if if um, if people when they were going to do negotiations, you know had to dance panurythmy before they sat down at the table i think it would inform these discussions would be informed by a different spirit um, and because people then are right in their bodies they get a sense of connection with each other and that's what's that's what we're missing in terms of addressing you know the major separations of the world and divisions of the world you mind if i get my pen out and underline that yeah <laughs> because um, yeah. dancing together has that potential and you're describing a, an organized way of doing it in the united states there's one called five rhythms that uh begins to approximate something like that five rhythms over time yeah. each, each with a mood uh associated with them but the deliberateness of feet on the ground connect to earth connection across to the people who are dancing with you in that circle and the connection to the somewhat ineffable around us, what we know is there, but can't put the right words on, but feel. And to do that all at the same time together is profoundly strong in what we need to be doing in this world that we are not doing. It's so, very beautiful because you have the, the, the musicians stand in the middle and and then if there are too many people, then you get a second circle and a third circle. So that um, on the 21st of August, which is the kind of feast day, you might have up to 1,500 people um, they're dancing the panurythmy together, um, which and, is and, quite something. And where might this take place? Uh, this is in the Rila Mountains, R-I-L-A, Rila Mountains, in the Seven Lakes area, which is the place that Peter Dunoff oh. took his followers from about the late 1920s. Where? In Bulgaria. Which, in Bulgaria. I just wanted it's to make Bulgaria. sure of that. I've been in Bucharest and Timisoara. It's the closest I've gotten. And it's a little different there in the Carpathian Mountains. So I have a little bit of a, a, little bit of a sense of what you're talking about. But people, are, are, this is still going on. Um, these dances in the mountains of Bulgaria where people are doing a pan dancing together in various numbers, I guess, uh, on a regular basis. And we got to this because we're, we're talking about you and the Cathars and uh, 
And we got to Bulgaria dancing in the mountains, which uh, I found delightful to to have uh, that part of the route, the route that we're getting to. So this this was a, your part of your spiritual education and expansion to be part of panurhythmic and much much more uh mystical i i assume in some forms but to mm. take but but you you're a conveyor of that bulgarian mystic teacher lecturer dance guy to the scientific medical network well, yes, I, I do occasionally do exercises. I do some exercises every morning. And I've edited um, a book called Prophet for Our Times, which which is a kind of compilation of his work. Also, another work on the panurhythmy called The Circle of Sacred Dance. And I've also translated his prayers um, from Bulgarian into English oh. um, called Gems of Love. Gems of love. Nice. Very, very nice. Uh, and somehow relate, even though you might have said that, how, the, how you relate that to the Cathars, because he influenced the, the development of the Cathars who ended up in southern France. Well, the, the, it, it was the, the Bogomils of the time. Bogomil means dear to God, literally. And the, those were the, those were the, heretic, the heretics in Bulgaria, where the Cathars were the corresponding heretics in France. So that's the connection, and the connection is also through the mystical aspect of Christianity, and and particularly the Gospel of John, and because that was held in very high regard by both the Bogomils and the Cathars. Okay, so that. Yeah, I'm trying to see, but you may you seem to represent the coming together of both of those traditions by being where you are now. Yes, I think I think that's true, and and I don't think it's a coincidence um, that I've finished up here, and that there is a a gradual coming together of people, and a, a key a key text here is something called the Gospel of the Beloved Companion. Um, and this was published first in 2010. Um, it had been kept by a closed community for hundreds of years, which itself goes back to the original Cathars. And so this community is, is the, the handing on of the Cathar tradition. And this gospel um, is the Cathar gospel, effectively. And it's um, it, it, the Gospel of Beloved Companion is subtitled The Complete Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which is what I actually believe it is. Um, and um, I've actually written a 40-page textual comparison between the Gospel of John and the Gospel of the Beloved Companion. And my general conclusion, just to put it in a nutshell, um, is that the Gospel of Beloved Companion is an earlier edition or an earlier version of the gospel of john and that opens up all kinds of interesting questions give us one question that it opens up please leadership of mary magdalene and and so if you look at the, what it does correspond um to the incomplete versions of the gospel of mary um, where mary is the person who is appointed to continue the teaching and the male disciples, because she's an initiate, she's been initiated by, by Yeshua or Jesus, 
and and the male disciples just don't understand what she's talking about and so there's this huge rivalry uh, between mary and jesus as a wisdom teacher and peter and paul um, who concentrate more on the lamb of god and the sacrifice that the atoning sacrifice for our sins there's none of that um, in the gospel of the beloved companion a competition should i say between male and female yes um and and the the redaction of um that original manuscript um re re replaced beloved companion with beloved disciple and and then they added an extra chapter chapter 21 which is the, the last chapter you know, to give a kind of attribution to say that it was i john who wrote all this down and 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 so it's a it's very revolutionary um, in the sense that it, if, if you put Mary Magdalene's story back at the center of the origins of Christianity, you have a very different balance and a different message. And what is that different message? I can guess, but what is that different message? Well, it's, it's a Gnostic. You see, it's, it's a Gnostic gospel in, in the sense that it talks about non-duality. So Yeshua all the time he says, I am the spirit of one. The Spirit speaks through me, and the Spirit is feminine. None of this Holy Ghost that's masculine. The Spirit is feminine. Yeah. Um, I, I've been struck, as a friend of mine has been, about how um, the feminine and Mary Magdalene has been excluded from Christianity from for such a very, very long time. And here, in your way, I guess, in what you do, uh, you're trying to be able, and you're group with this with the god the, the beloved the gospel of the beloved is is going to is trying to be able to say as we need so much in this time we need to be able to get much more balanced with the male and the female and you can't do that by eliminating the feminine which is what so many right-wing groups are trying to do is do the same thing that seemed to have happened with john and mary Yes, it's the you know, that's the patriarchal um, agenda, and I think that Mary also stands for intuitive wisdom, and gnosis is knowing that we are one with the divine, knowing that, not just writing about it, but actually experiencing it. Is isn't gnosis uh, also including knowing things without being able to explain them in rational ways like that? sort of but it's 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 coincidence of knowing and being and so there's there's no separation between the knowing and the being the being is the knowing and the knowing is the being so that um. there's whereas if you stand back from you know scientifically then you're making observations as an observer and you're separating yourself it's a bit more like contemplation where you become one with your with the object of contemplation so the knower and the known are one they're not two well let's let's bring us back to two which is like uh, you in the cathar region of Fr france and uh the for, for for me talking about synchronicity uh, and having you there uh with the two rebel factions of christianity um connecting uh, in part through you in uh, currently and having that 
similarity between them that they were rebelling against i'll say the male patriarchy in a simple way of saying it and trying to bring gnosis into uh, the experience of uh, people who are part of the group and so you the synchronicity of it um to me begins with the thrill uh, the feeling, the knowing, the I'll say gnosis in this case, uh, between you, you and Marianne, that uh, that was the seed that got you into the castle and got you into the further connection with uh, the Bulgarian version of what the Cathars were doing. Yes, but I, I'd first come to the area in the 1980s, um, and I did a pilgrimage with Sir George Trevelyan, um, who was my, one of my mentors um, at the time. And so we we did three seminars together. We did um, the new Gnostics, um, the new Essenes, and the new Cathars. And so for the Cathar one, we came to the Cathar country and took people around some of the castles, the well-known castles. We went up Montsegur and, and other other castles like Keribus and Perpertus. And um, these are castles that obviously they're, they're only an hour away or less. Monsegur is only half an hour away from where I live. So I think the what it stands for me, all of this whole tradition stands for the spirit rather than the law and the letter. And so when, when institutions come along, I mean, famously C.S. Lewis said um, when in, in the screw tape letters and the junior devil and the senior devil were talking about the origins of Christianity. And the junior devil said, I'm quite concerned about you know, the power of Christianity. And the senior devil said, don't worry, we'll help them organize it. And I think that's such a profound observation, because as soon as you organize things, you bring in regulations, the letter, the law, and the spirit can get um, eviscerated, you know, by by the letter and i think it's a it's been a perennial problem with all spiritual movements including you know dunoff he said thank god i'm not a dunovist and then jung said thank god i'm not a jungian and and freud said thank god i'm not a freudian uh, yeah same well, idea it's, it's a kind of hazard isn't it? it it's a real hazard you get the with the good ideas and then people start uh, making up rules around it and then you become the knowledge is only what the what the great man in this case had written, not your own ability to know stuff. It's really what you can add to what he already did, and it it's a, it's a it is a problem. But the bigger problem you refer to, David, is once you start organizing, you start um, restricting the the ability to be expansive and get into uh, the non duality because you make a duality about this is right and this is wrong i'm having a problem somewhat like that in organizing the coincidence project we just did our launch uh on sat last saturday and now there's arguments about like who's going to be a board member and watch how should we do this and how should we do that and i'm trying to figure out how do you negotiate situations like that where uh somebody wants somebody in somebody wants somebody out uh and how we're going to do this and do that it's been pretty flowy so far but it's going to get to be like regulated and what ideas do you have you've done you've done you have an organization the spirit the scientific and medical network how do you how do you manage that uh that 
that problem of organizing uh, around spirituality? Well, I think it's easier with small with smaller numbers of people and smaller organizations because with a larger organization, you then have to um, structure it. Um, but but if you can give people the autonomy that they need um, uh, and help them self-organize in, into different clusters of activity, um, that's that's ideal. But then you get different kinds of people as well. You've got you know, creative people like me um, who, um, you know, when it comes to dotting I's and crossing T's, I'm not quite as strong on that part. Um, but you need those people who cross I's and and um, yeah, sort of dot I's and cross T's and, and who think about risk management and all of that. You need those people. And so it's only a trade-off between the spirit and the organization. Um, but you're right. See, if you can keep the fluidity and respect um, going, then you've got a good chance. Keep the fluidity and respect going and also not make it too large. You have a lot yes. of people. You have a lot of people in uh, your network. We do, but we're not enormous. And and in fact, the the maximum size of the network was three thousand, which is about twenty years ago. But we are growing back towards that number. Now we declined to about six hundred at one point. And hmm. and um, and and actually, the the way that we've revised and developed our program over the pandemic has been a kind of resurrection from that point of view well it's there's a there's a lot to be said about the the sine wave uh reality to me has a, in its basis one of the basic patterns is the sine wave of it it comes and it goes just like ocean waves and so many other waves auditory and visual and all kinds of things mark this particular place um which is uh, also marked by polarity which a sine wave also demonstrates so you you need to have this kind of push and pull, this um, close and then expand. It's just the way we breathe. It's a it's part of living on this on this earth. It's a matter of managing the in, in the ins and out of it that become um, the the challenge for all people involved. And the more self organizing, I think that's a key idea. We we were talking about this. Uh, I think remarkable synchronicity even though you were set up to go to southern france and you learned about the cathars that's all part of preparation for coincidences to happen you know, it's nice to have something in the background that makes it more able in the present to recognize that yeah this is the right place for me to be it's it's recognizes see again and you know that and you and you could mm. see it again so your your heart with was bulgaria and and southern france and that's just what we have here and it's a little bit like that the that story i started off with it the, the hearts came together with you and marianne in that place you both felt it and you did it and uh there you are and it's uh well that brings us back to the house story yes which which i was going to tell you so marianne was working at border blanc and um, where she was helping with the cooking and and we'd we'd seen this house that I'm sitting in at the moment um, advertised on one of the sites, um, and we decided to go for a walk um, uh, along there. And so we parked the car in front of the house, 
Um, and then I noticed that the estate agent was actually showing showing some people round. Uh, and so I said, I said to him, um, do you mind showing us round if we just go for a walk? And um, then, um, you know, we'll come back in 20 minutes and you can maybe show us round. And, and he said, that's fine. Yeah, just do that. And so we came back and um, we looked around the place and Marianne has horses. And, and so we need some sort of place that is appropriate for horses. So we went down the side and found the, the was a stable. And then behind there was a shelter for the horses and um, two acres of land um, with some trees and on a slope. Uh, and so we knew yeah, this this was the place. Um, and so I, within half an hour, um, I we decided we were going to put an offer in. And, and the man had said that a very low offer had been put in that day. And so I put, <clears throat> I put a, a higher offer in, but not, not the asking price. Um, put it in straight away. And we, we got the property confirmed the next day. And if we'd waited, it would have gone to someone else. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, that's quite a story. It It's, again... Um, part of having meaningful coincidences happen is you've got to act. You've got to seize the moment, um, carpe diem, uh, and you did it. And what made you, you told us kind of, but what made you and Marianne say, we're going to do it? We're going to make the Well, order. it was obviously you get a feel for the place and you see that what it's got to offer compared with, we had actually looked looked at another place um, which was a much much smaller house with no land, um, and it was going to need extensive work on the drains and electricity, uh, and we'd have paid about the same for that as we were prepared to pay or the offer that we put in for this house, and um, and so it was very obvious that this was preferable, and um, and so we had already withdrawn in fact the offer for the previous house, but th this house was kind of waiting for us. So th this was, I, I would say, a, a rational decision. There wasn't, there wasn't much intuition involved. It just fit the criteria. Yes, it, but well, there's a sense, uh, there's a sense of rightness, um, and and I think we make decisions on that basis. In other words, we didn't weigh it up, um, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, um, it just it just felt the right place, uh, and and we had, you know, fallen upon it at exactly the right moment um, uh, otherwise if we hadn't actually gone for the walk that afternoon it would have been sold to someone else again that's that timing thing of uh, being mm. in the right place at the right time is a common uh, meaningful coincidence uh, it it just and i call it human gps um you get to where you need to be without knowing how you got there uh that's the intuitive um ability to get what to get where you need to be intuition is a word that covers a lot of territory and what you just described is a wonderful balance between intuition and rationality the criteria were there and it felt right yes absolutely there was one other story i wanted wanted to tell you which goes back um into an into earlier phase of my life it's when i um was appointed to teach at winchester college 
and and so what happened there i was teaching at fetty's college um, which was a, um, a school in edinburgh and i actually i was very happy i wasn't particularly looking for another job um, but i went to see my poetry tutor to have lunch with him and i arrived a bit early and so i went into the news agent and bought the times educational supplement now i rarely bought uh, bought the times educational supplement and i went to the jobs and it was Fre Winchester College, French and German. And as soon as I saw the advert, I knew I was going to get the job. And and it, it was an extraordinary feeling. And, and so I applied. Uh, I went down for the interview. Um, I would, in fact, have been offered a job at a different school or a day my teaching practice. Um, and I went, so I went, I arrived in Winchester and I, went into the cathedral because I had 10 minutes to spare and Bach's Prelude and Fugue in D major number 533 uh, was being played on the organ. I thought, ah, that is a good sign. Um, and then I, I got the job and I spent six very happy years there. And there's a sequel to this. Um, and that is that one of my colleagues was David Connor. And David is the Dean of Windsor. You may even have seen him on the TV last year um, you know, in, in relation to the St. George's Chapel uh, funeral service um, of <clears throat> Her Majesty the Queen, which he took. Um, and so I went to see I went to see David um, to have dinner with him. I hadn't seen him for quite some time. And so we had a lovely catch up and dinner. This must have been about 10 years ago. And we were coming past St. George's Chapel. Um, and the same piece of music um, was being played and practiced inside the chapel. And I told David the story of um, my interview at Winchester. That's a lovely moment. That's a lovely moment. That's when I when I talk about coincidences, sometimes they are just uh, just like being in a, in a in a hallowed museum and being able to appreciate the beauty of the existence that we have and that's what you had right there why don't you tell us you wanted to t tell a uh, uh read read or tell us one of your poems yes this this was the um this is the one um which is specifically about catharism it's called regeneration uh 1321 to 2021 and the background to it is that the, the last Cathar to be burnt at the stake was Guillaume de Bellibast in 1321. And he said, that after 700 years, at the end of 700 years, the laurel will turn green again. And, and what's interesting from this is a lot of um, correspondence, if you like, is that the laurel is related to the box uh, and there's a lot of box on the hills and in the woods around here. And that was devastated by some moths in about 2018, 2019. But by 2021, this was all regrowing. So literally the growth was coming out of the dead looking, dead looking wood. And so this is my poem, Regeneration. The laurel wilts, pure love, consumed by flames, reduced to ash. The orthodox letter quashed the Gnostic spirit of freedom, driven into caves underground, 
the flutes fell silent. Castles laid waste by time retain a sacred resonance, hidden seeds of spiritual spring, the force and tide of life itself. A healing power now rises from the inner depths, renewing and regenerating, shooting forth new growth from dry branches, shining a radiant star of hope in times of dense darkness. A piercing beauty, a flash of truth, a beating heart of goodness, streaming anew through the world. That's beautiful, David. So that's, and this, this comes from this collection here, Better Light a Candle, and then Curse the Darkness. That's the full Chinese proverb. <laughs> so this friend of mine wants to have a sign in front of something that says, don't complain here. Uh, it's uh, it's be able to light a candle in the midst of the darkness uh, is what we're trying to do here. Um, that's where, for me, synchronicity is lighting a candle in, in the, the darkness around us uh, to try to get us to be able to see more light. And your your beautiful analogy between the, the trees and the regrowth of, of spirituality um, is beautifully wrought. And uh, I love trees. I have communicate with trees. I have telepathic communications with some trees and we have a good relationship over many many years and so for you to pick uh trees for a poem that you're going to read to me is uh is a nice touch for this interviewer so i i i thank i thank you very much for for reading that poem and we've, we're coming to the end of our time here is there anything else you'd like to be able to say that before we end no i think we've covered um a lot of ground um, some unexpected, but but uh, um, playful and creative. Playful and creative is the right idea, David. That's what I like. Playful and creative, because you play, you create, you create, you play. It's uh, it's all part of what can be the fun. And uh, I so very much appreciate your being with me today. And I also, again, am just amazed by your output with. Uh, the books that you've reviewed. Uh, so thank you for your work. And uh, I'm very glad to get to know you better today. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Bernie. You're welcome. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere like a hologram Cosmic consciousness